Alright y'all, what is going on? This is your man L. Jamal coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place we can say what you want as long as you got them facts. We have a few things to get into today. Uh, first things first, I want to get into a college football update. Uh, I do have a, uh, well, we have an update on the Deion Sanders saga. He has officially chosen his new team. He has a new job now. I wanted to break down some of the aspects of what's going on there and then of course the drama uh, with him leaving Jack. Jackson State. Uh, we also got an NFL update. Of course, we're going to be going over week 14. Uh, all the games from this weekend, at least, you know, some of the games. Uh, we're going to get through some news. And of course, I wanted to check in on my Raiders. It was an ugly week, to say the least. And then I have a couple more segments, uh, a War on the Street segment. Uh, we also have a Upon Further Review review segment as well all right y'all if you haven't yet please be sure to follow me on instagram uh, i'll be leaving that link available for you guys i also have a youtube channel as well if you haven't checked that out never out of bounds the same name as well so without further ado let's go ahead and get into it with a college football update like i said Deion sanders has found himself a new home he'll be going to colorado sign a five-year 29 and a half million dollar deal again uh, he's already you know stirred the pot a little bit claiming he'll be bringing a lot of his uh, former players uh pretty much laying the gauntlet down to whoever is you know at least on the roster that um you know if you want to stay you can you got to work your ass off otherwise i'll see you later so he gets it a lot of you know he got he got into a lot of drama for that uh just saying a lot of you know I guess noteworthy stuff you know uh head i guess uh headline catching you know I guess, statements, you know, uh, a lot of people love it. Some people hate it. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is a reflection of a, you know, old school coach. I mean, I, I personally don't care um, about all that. I'm looking to see the finished product, you know, so that sounds great in, you know, December. I want to see what happens with this team comes, you know, come, you know, August and September. Uh, this team has been, you know, garbage for a while now. So, um, and they've had a few different coaches. So let's see if, you know, things are different now. Now, he's already, you know, made a splash in the hiring uh, situation. Uh, he's brought in Corey Phillips uh, from LSU as a director of his player personnel. Uh, for Phillips, he also served as a scouting director at North Carolina State. Uh, he was also on the Vanderbilt staff as well, pretty much, you know, doing the same thing, player personnel. He was uh, previously, on top of that, a high school coach in the national area. So some ties to the southern uh, area, uh, some so some great, well, a potential for some great, I guess, uh, expanding of the Colorado reach. Uh, apparently, you know, this is, you know, I mean, because again, we live in this, you know, digital or I guess social media era where, you know, you know, you can take, you know, 
what Dion is saying and you can post it online and you can post it at these, you know, accessible, you know, places in which, you know, recruits, potential recruits can see all this and be inspired by this. So, uh, you know, he's going to have a lot going for him in a positive way, you know, but also we have to count, you know, what's going on now with the landscape, with the NIL situation, uh, you know, can you know, Colorado secure those type of situations for those top five uh, recruits as well. It can't just be all, you know, Dion's mouthpiece, but we'll have to see. Uh, he's also bringing in a former uh, DB's coach. Oh, actually, we take that back. He's bringing in a former Vikings head coach, um, and he's also a former analyst at Jackson State. Uh, Mike Zimmer. Now, Mike Zimmer was also a former DBs coach. He actually coached Dion uh, back in the day at Dallas. Uh, he'll be working with the defensive uh, coordinator. Uh, he was hired recently Wednesday, and Zimmer has 40 years of coaching experience. So, again, Dion is pretty much covering all his bases. Uh, as far as a, I think he recently signed a uh, defensive coordinator out of Alabama. I think I have his name right here in front of me. No, I do. Charles Kelly. Uh, he's recently the uh, defensive corner at Alabama. Of course, Alabama, uh, you know, nationally renowned defense. Again, one of their top defensive players recently won a recently won a top linebacker award. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so, again, a potent defense, to say the least. Uh, this is a defense that gets, well, at least the Alabama defense was uh, something that got a lot of players uh, to the league. So, again, uh, you know, Dion is looking for that to be replicated, you know, at Colorado. And then he also signed uh, Kent State head coach Sean Lewis uh, to become their offensive coordinator. So, again, you know, he's, you know, making some moves already. Uh, he did sign a five, well, He's in the works of signing a five-star receiver, uh, Winston Watkins. He's a cousin of Sammy Watkins, uh, but this will be in the class of 2025. But again, as far as what's happening now, he did lose his starting defensive back, uh, Kalen uh, Kalen Moore uh, to the transfer portal. So you do have some interesting things there. Uh, there are some recruits that are kind of rubbed the wrong way with what he's been saying late recently. So it has affected him in some way. So again, you know, time will tell. Uh, but I think, you know, there's a lot of positive going for him. And um, at first, you know, I was a little bit iffy about this, you know, because now um, I do have a question, you know, of course. So I did want to address uh, at least the, you know, the big question or the elephant in the room was it right from the leave at HBCU was there some type of drama behind that or was it justified the backlash that he ended up getting from some people in the black community uh you know like your Dr. Umars and stuff like that and I kind of you know I feel like I kind of flip-flopped uh but the more I think about it um you know this is something that doesn't surprise me again he this is a guy that didn't go to HBCU uh, he ended up going to Florida State. So I don't, you know, I'm not surprised about him finding a way uh, to a Power 5 school. Uh, it's a little bit unfortunate because, again, you know, he was a highlight for HBCUs. And I could have definitely started, started a positive trend of, you know, well-named coaches, you know, finding their way into that sphere, uh, you know, and encouraging black athletes to find their way there as well and maybe propping up or at least, you know, expanding that, uh, you know, HBCU reach. And, you know, again, you know, in this social media age, you know, it's black students and, you know, potential black uh, athletes being able to, you know, 
see that and see that success, you know, uh, maybe that would, you know, trickle down and create something bigger. And I understand uh, the frustration behind that, if you get what I'm saying. But um, with that being said, uh, there is some drama uh, that got exposed upon his departure from Jackson State. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, again, his, you know, his raises, his contract, uh, you know, stip uh, stipulated that, you know, over a course of some years. I don't know exactly uh, how um, exactly word for word how it was you know, worded, but again, you know, there was supposed to be a raise at some point in time, uh, I think of a, you know, I think up to about 300,000, which he never got, uh, despite this team getting better and better over the years. And again, you know, again, this team had his first undefeated, you know, season in school history. Uh, last year was able to reach a ball game. Uh, this year they made a, a you know, their second straight ball game. Uh, Dion says he will be uh, in attendance for that, or he will be on the sideline for that game coaching. Uh, so, again, he's done a whole lot, but the school has decided not to pay him. And then there's also some alleged, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, some embezzlement, meaning uh, this program or this university has been getting some money for this, uh, you know, specifically for this football program, you know, you know, by, you know, by virtue of, I would say, Dion's success and his team's success, of course. And, you know, it's not going, it's, it didn't reach, you know reach that team it didn't go into the facilities it didn't go into i guess a, a recruiting budget of course we mentioned you know Dion didn't get his raises and you know it's a sad state of affairs because you know in the beginning like i said you know i kind of was like you know it was a move that didn't surprise me i kind of was like whatever about it then i thought about it I said damn you know that's kind of you know um fucked up he kind of left hbcus high and dry but then i hear about this recent development and then I'm also, you know, it jogs my memory back to uh, stories I've heard about schools like Prairie A&M uh, University, another HBCU uh, who did similar things, at least, you know, in terms of budgeting and their football budget. You know, they kept, uh, you know, money from that program and that program suffered. And these are already campuses and these are already, uh, you know, you know, universities that, you know, are strapped financially in terms of what they can do uh, in terms of athletics. And just to have, you know, the, you know, the higher ups take something off the top of it and you know you know whatever little bit you had take whatever that is just take that completely you know it's you know it's kind of dirty and in a way it's the it's somewhat of an equivalent of what Brett Favre was doing you know unfortunately so you know and again so this is not and again this is not just you know what you're hearing about Jackson State uh is not you know I don't think it's indicative of all HBCUs. Don't, you know, don't take it there. Disclaimer, I guess you would say. Uh, but this is, you know, something that has happened. As I mentioned before at Perry uh, A&M uh, out there in Texas, uh, this happened for that program back in the 90s. Uh, but in the, in that time period, this that was one of the worst teams, of course, even on the, uh, you would call, I guess, uh, FCS level. Uh, you know, I guess I think they were playing on that level back then, or you call it Division Two, And there were strings where they were, you know, seasons where they weren't getting any wins at all. And like I mentioned, you know, their, you know, program director and, you know, I guess, you know, whoever else higher up is involved in that school, which who you will call whatever those positions are called, you know, they're taking money from there. They're basically stealing. And again, you know, every year you see a failing football team, you know, no facilities, no way to recruit nobody, uh, you know, of any talent. And that's what you get. So, you know, it's very unfortunate to see that that trend has not 
necessarily change. Now, mind you, I'm not saying that every, you know, HBCU is like this, but there is these situations in which these more prominent institutions, particularly the ones, you know, that have, you know, more of the cachet in terms of, you know, notoriety. Uh, you know, I think there was also a situation with Southern University uh, who had an issue or, or who created an issue, um, you know, some years back when it came to TV coverage. Uh, there was a game that, you know, was important to really both teams in terms of the TV coverage and would have helped both teams. Uh, but the more prominent team decided to make a call of, well, you know, we won't scrap this game. We won't reschedule this game, uh, you know, basically putting that game or, you know, yeah, putting that game in conflict, you know, with, you know, television broadcast. And again, being on television was more important and, you know, and that extra, you know, exposure was more important for some uh, within those communities as opposed to just ticket sales, you know, in that in that instance. So, again, you have your drama here and there uh, in these within these schools. And it's a little bit sad to see uh, because, again, you know, we made it like, oh, it's it's all on Dion. It was Dion's responsibility to, to take the to take these HBCUs and make them some some great, you know, you know, I guess you would call it a breeding ground for black athletic talent to phone them into the NFL. It, it's not just on Dion. It was on the, it, you know, it's on those people who run those football, you know, programs as well in those universities to do the right thing, you know, and to promote a winning culture. And therefore, you know, keeping and, you know, encouraging him to stay as opposed to, you know, pretty much, you know, giving him all the, the reason in the world to want to leave. So, you know, yeah, Dion, you know, it's unfortunate that he left. But if if, you know, if, if any of this stuff is true, which, you know, is coming out of, down the pipe that it is, you know, it's he's, you know, entitled to make that move, to say the least. But again, you know, he's made his move to Colorado. And for now, that's all we got to say about it. Now, there is some action uh, going on in the transfer portal. Uh, now, as far as I know, these act. Uh, these uh, moves in terms of where these guys are going to go, uh, they won't actually be made until about the start of the week. So Monday, Tuesday, you know, et cetera. Uh, but these guys are just making their names, you know, eligible, or at least they're making their names known or putting names in the portal. That's what I want to say. Uh, so we're going to go through a few teams um, in a few different conferences. Uh, so we're going to start off with the ACC. Now, uh, with you, uh, sorry, with North Carolina, uh, they are using losing their second uh, starting defensive back in about a week. So uh, Storm Duck and also Tony Grimes have put their names in the transfer portal. Uh, we'll be finding out where they'll be headed uh, shortly. Now for uh, Duck, he will go on to have 46 total tackles last season, three interceptions, also three past deflections uh, they will also uh, this be in North Carolina now they will also be losing a registered freshman defensive lineman uh, Keyshawn Silver he was a five-star recruit uh, last season but he will be appear in just three games so he wants to change the scenery he wants more reps and you know that happens to a lot of uh, newer, newer guys. Uh, that first season, they came in there with a lot of hype. They were highly recruited. They recruited. They don't, they don't get a lot of snaps, and they go, uh, you know, 
I want more <laughs> out of out of my uh, college experience. And so they go, you know, after that first, maybe even second year, sometimes they're like, I, I got to bounce. So this is typical. Uh, at Georgia Tech, they are losing a quarterback, uh, Taysan uh, Fomakan. Uh, he played in, he's played in four seasons total uh, with uh, Virginia Tech, sorry, Georgia Tech and Clemson. Uh, in his career, he's at over 200, 200, 200 yards, excuse me. He's also thrown for a touchdown. He's also had four touchdowns on the ground. Of course, uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech has been in between a pro style or, you know, a triple option offense into something else. You know, they've been trying to turn into something different and it hasn't really worked. But, you know, that four touchdowns on the ground is indicative of, you know, them usually having a quarterback that's mobile. But he's on the run as well. Uh, he's been in the game for a while now. He hasn't really had his chance to really start and lead a team. So, again, he's been in the game for four seasons so uh, so far. So, it's you know, he wants to get that chance. Moving on to Florida State, we got sophomore defensive lineman Daryl Jackson Jr. Jr. Uh, at some point, he's going to be headed to Miami. That's at least what he's saying when he enters the pool, when the portal officially, you know, opens itself up. Uh, this season, he only got three sacks. Uh, he is a three-star recruiter. He was a three-star recruit going into the year. Uh, moving on to the SEC, uh, for Ole Miss, they're losing their top uh, top player in the secondary, defensive back Miles Battle. Uh, last year, he would have 33 tackles, an interception, four pass deflections. From a stat standpoint, it was his best season. So, um, it looks like, in my opinion, he, he's looking to build on that. And he needs a situation in which he can do that. And he probably doesn't feel like, you know, Hugh Freeze is the guy to do it since he's more of an offensive-minded uh, coach. He's looking to be the guy that leads his defense. That's what it seems like to me. Out Florida, they're going to be losing two of their linebackers. Uh, you know, Lloyd Summerall, he was 150 in the ESPN Top 100. Uh, we're also losing a four-star recruit from last season. I think his name is uh, Derwin Black. Uh, both were pretty much unproductive last season. Uh, they really made a, they only made a handful of starts combined, uh, about a handful of tackles combined together. Uh, so they're looking for greener pastures to get some work in. And again, like I mentioned, uh, for a lot of these, you know, highly retired highly highly touted recruits four and five stars uh they only will take a season it only takes a season for them to kind of figure out whether or not they're going to start or what their impact is going to be and they're only going to tolerate about a season of not really being that guy again they want they want those reps they want to you know if they're if a guy is you know considered to be a four or five star recruit he's being told by the people around behind him and around him uh in his circle that he's gonna more than likely if he starts and is productive he has a high chance of being drafted so again these guys want to play these guys need action and i totally get it uh for texas a&m uh they're losing their uh number their top prospect uh from last season wide receiver chris marshall uh very unproductive year uh, as far as i know uh they have up to 22 players uh that entered the transfer portal within the last two weeks alone just to kind of tell you what type of situation uh that program is headed in uh you know going into this year everybody was really high on them oh they had a great recruit uh recruiting uh situation they're they're they have top talent returning la 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 and now look at them trash uh 22 people gone within two weeks after the offseason well at the start of the offseason that'll tell you all you need to know moving on uh we have uh tight end austin stogner uh he was at south carolina he'll be heading 
back to Oklahoma. It looks like he's done with Spencer Rattler. I've had enough of this. And then we got some other guys from smaller schools uh, making some moves. Or some guys from some smaller schools making some move, uh, moves. From Coastal Carolina, we got offensive lineman Willie Lampkin. Uh, he was a three-year starter. He's an all-conference player. Uh, again, at this point in his career, he wants. Uh, he's probably going to find himself or he's look more than likely looking um for the exposure of a power five school so i wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself uh at some school in the sec maybe the big 12 uh just kind of speculating right now because again he's third year all conference player uh, again, he's gotten some accolades. I think now he wants the extra exposure. Again, he's look a lot of these guys are looking for that ex- next level. That's how these guys are thinking. You gotta love it. And then also at UNLV, you got running back Aiden Robbins. Uh, he's a graduate transfer, so he's been around the block a little bit. Last season, he had over a thousand yards, nine touchdowns. Uh, at this point, um, again, he's a graduate transfer, so that means he's you know fulfilled his requirements academically uh at this point um you know he's set there maybe he is looking for one final push to see if he can maybe make a pro roster uh, if he can get one more year of real college work he might not have played as much as first couple of seasons uh so he has a little bit of a staggered career where you know in the beginning it really wasn't a whole lot going on now he's starting to get production i wouldn't be surprised if last season was his most productive season so um again this is probably another guy that might find himself or is probably looking for a uh power fire school in which he, which he'll be on you know getting some more exposure on and hopefully he'll be just as productive on that level as well that'll help him uh probably in that next level because it looks like he's looking to at least be a looks like he wants to be a draft pick at this point i mean just kind of with the move he's making here all right y'all i did want to go over the conference championships at least at least a few of them real quick not all of them of course uh but just a few that really caught my eye over the past week or so Uh, a lot of these games determined where we're at in terms of the top four in terms of the playoff well, a few of them at least. So let's break some of them down. First things first in the Conference USA Championship, you had UT San Antonio uh, breaking off North Texas 48 to 27. Uh, UTSA finishes the regular season at 11 and 2, and North Texas finishes at 7 and 6. For North Texas, uh, Austin Ani will go 14 of 29 for 129 yards. Uh, he would throw a touchdown, but he would throw two picks. Ikaika Ragsdale had a great game on the ground though uh in you know even though they lost 108 yards he would have a touchdown and defensively defensive lineman tom shrebe uh would also have eight sorry two total sacks excuse me uh but the problem for north texas was you know sustaining drives they were two for ten on third down they also gave up eight penalties that's not you know conducive to sustaining drives and eventually scoring it's just what it is for utsa frank harris would go 32 or 37 341 yards four touchdowns from him he would also score on the ground kavorian barnes would get you 175 yards on a touchdown and zakari franklin uh, had a big productive game uh from a receiving standpoint, 10 catches, 144 yards, three touchdown catches. And defensively, Clifford Chapman will get you nine total tackles and an interception. And defensive back, Ken Robinson, will get you a pick. Uh, my favorite game of the evening, uh, at least that evening, of course, the Pac-12 championship. My boys, the true Pac-12 champion. I knew it. No, I'm just playing. You knew who I was rooting for. But 
I wasn't rooting for USC, uh, but you knew who I was rooting for in the beginning. You know what I'm saying? I came to this game rooting for Utah again. <laughs> the real Pac-12 team. Sayonara, USC bitches. 47-24, the final score. Both teams remain in the top 10. Utah finishes the regular season at number 7. They'll be going to the Rose Bowl. Well, I think that might be USC, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we also got uh, USC. They finished number eight again, both in the top ten. Like I said, final score 47 to 24. Utah finishes the regular season 10 and three. Uh, USC finishes within a. With a, with it all being said, the 11 and two finish was still impressive. We'll talk about Caleb Williams in just a little bit. Uh, he was the Heisman winner this year. Just. To, Kind of throw that out there. Uh, for Cameron Rising, uh, he will lead the, the Utes offensively with uh, going 22 of 34, 310 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Jaquindon Jackson will get you 105 yards on 8.1 yards per carry, two touchdowns from him. Uh, Michael Bernard would average eight over eight yards a carry as well, and he would get a touchdown. And Money Parks will be the lead, the team sitting receiver, four catches, 88 yards and a touchdown. And Mahmoud Diabate will be the team's uh, lead lead player on the defense eight total tackles two sacks uh we also got rj hubert who got nine total tackles and an interception for utah they were four seven sacks they would also have 223 rushing yards so again great offense uh in that game good defense that really got got hot in the end uh just you know really putting the pressure on caleb williams hitting them sacking them doing what they needed to do to get the dub. So you got to love it for Caleb Williams, 28 of 41, 363 yards, three touchdowns. He will get an interception. Uh, but overall for USC, they were just held to 56 total rushing yards. Taj Washington will be the team's leading receiver with six catches, 93 yards and a touchdown. And Mario Williams will get a, will get a touchdown. Sorry, Mario Williams will get a touchdown catch as well. Defensively, linebacker Eric Gentry will get you eight total tackles and sack. Uh, another big-time matchup was Kansas State getting it done in an upset versus TCU, although TCU still found their way in the college football playoff being ranked number three. Final score is 31-28 in overtime. Kansas State finishes 10-3 on the year. Uh, TCU goes into their playoff matchup at 12-1. For the Wildcats, Will Howard would go 18 to 32 for 199 yards. He would throw two touchdown passes. He'd also score on the ground as well. Deuce Vaughn has some big plays in that game, going 430 yards. He would also score as well. And uh, Ben Sano and also R.J. Sar yes, R.J. Garcia, the second will both get receiving touchdowns. And defensively for Kansas State, uh, Felix Anudike will get four total tackles. Sorry, five total tackles in a sack. And Julius Brent, uh, he would have he would you know bust some coverages or get you know exposed on some coverages in certain points in the game but he would help out with a pick uh in the second half as well for the horn frost max duggan uh 18 to 36 for 251 yards he would throw a touchdown but he would throw a pick he would also score on the ground as well as getting 110 rush yards kendra miller would also get 82 yards on the ground and a touchdown and defensively defensive lineman dylan portion will get you two sacks uh moving on we got you uh, sorry in the sec championship uh georgia uh taking an l here against uh sorry georgia getting the win excuse me by 20 against lsu uh 50 to 30 will be the final score uh, we also got purdue getting blown out by michigan 43 to 22 so you know some things some games that were surprising some games that really 
learned. And as I mentioned, of course, uh, you know, Caleb Williams will be awarded the Heisman. So congratulations for him. I don't, I'm not, you know, salty or that much of a hater. I just like to talk shit. You know, this is fun for me. So uh, as as much as I do that, it's always going to be out of love. And at the end of the day, when it's time to salute these guys for what they've accomplished, we're going to do that. Uh, this season, uh, he was fourth in passing with over 4,000 yards. He was tied for first in touchdowns with 37. He would just throw 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 for four picks. He would also have a uh, QBR of 86 and a half. So uh, he has at least one more year of eligibility. He is just a sophomore because, uh, of course, he could come back as a you know junior and a senior if he wanted. But I could see him going after next year. I don't see you know what would hold him back. He's already shown you on in two different conferences he can play pretty damn well. Uh, he's the eighth USC uh, player to win the award. He also will win the Maxwell Award as well. Another award for the best overall player in college football is just given out by different group of people so same type of award as a Heisman again just given out by a different group again I mean people can argue about which one is more important but the fact is he got both though so he had a really good year uh he will beat out Max Duggan from TCU Stetson Bennett uh, a lot of people was you know really mad about Stetson Bennett uh if you look at the stats I can kind of see why uh 3,425 yards 20 to 6 touchdown and interception ratio so a lot to be desired there uh but you know he had a decent QBR at 86.3 so he wasn't terrible uh people were really high on Bajan Robinson who ended up be, who ended up winning the Doak Walker award I think he had over 1,500 yards yards 18 touchdowns so again i could understand you know him i can understand being i could understand stetson bennett being left out of there so it's not as quarterback heavy i understand that you know um that problem but at the same time uh with caleb williams do you see i mean at the even if we put you know even if we replaced you know stetson bennett with anybody uh do you think that other person that they would have added would have had a shot at beating Caleb Williams? You know, I don't think so. I think people were high on Caleb Williams, um, you know, from the get go, the entire season. They love to award the big market teams, whether it's pro or college. You know, USC, all he had to do was pretty much have a, you know, relatively, you know, very productive season, which he did. Uh, some great numbers here, of course, and then also be on a great potent team. And that would have, you know, because, again, a lot of people were looking at Bo Nix at some point until he got hurt. And we took a couple more losses. So, again, this is if you're already on a prominent team and you're doing your thing and you are conducive to them winning, you know, they are going to look at you. And it just I mean, at the end of the day, though, they just have they they do have a little bit of a bias, in my opinion, to quarterbacks as well. But I mean, at the end of the day, would Bijan Robinson really been able to beat out Caleb? I, I don't think so. But that's me. Uh, some other uh, notable award winners. Uh, the Chuck Benderick Award went to Will Anderson from Alabama. 51 total tackles, 17 for loss, uh, 10 sacks, also 12 quarterback hurries, and a pick, of course. Uh, top pick in the draft, if if he's going. I don't see why not. The best QB award, the Davey O'Brien, would be given to Max Duggan from TCU. Over 3,300 uh, yards this season, 30 to 4 touchdown and interception ratio. 64 uh, complete, sorry, 64% of his passes were complete. And he also had six touchdowns on 400 rushing yards. So, again, doing it all. He played. He laid it out all on the line, in my opinion, in the Big 12 title game. I would have given it. I still gave him the MVP, even though the team lost. But because of the way I watched that game, he was just so critical on every down. Uh, just making the right pass. Um, 
Sometimes he would have to take it and run and do some extra shit, take an extra hit. Uh, near the end of the game, you could tell it was wearing on him. Uh, just some really gutsy shit. Uh, I think NFL GMs are going to like that. I like that. I like that out of my quarterback. I want to see that. I don't want to see him necessarily always getting hit because he will leave with his shoulders. I, I don't necessarily need it for him to get hurt. But again, just seeing him, you know, rising to that occasion, I didn't watch a whole lot of him over the course of that season. Uh, but watching, you know, that Kansas State, you know, matchup in the Big 12 championship gave me enough to know that uh, this guy is for real. Uh, I, th I definitely think, uh, you know, whoever he he matches up in the playoffs with, I believe, uh, they're ranked number three. They're going up against Jordan. Uh, no, I think. Uh, oh man, I, I can't remember the number two's team off the top of my head. But whoever's on number, whoever's number two, I think it might be Michigan. Y'all all noticed. I'm just gonna tell y'all right now. Max Duggan is is ready to play as long as he's healthy, and ready to go. I would say yeah. Uh, as far as coach of the year is concerned, his coach got it. Uh, Sonny Dykes, 12 and one regular season record. Of course, college football playoff berth. Uh, this is coming from a team that was struggling last year. I think they finished with a losing record. Of course, Gary Patterson, their former coach, uh, he had to get up out of there. It was just too much for him. He felt he felt as though the game had passed him by. Uh, but they were you know pretty much in dire straits. You know, with uh, no money for nothing, no lady writer, nothing. They were just, just bad. And but they just out of nowhere this year just rise up to the occasion and really get it done in every game. Uh, with the exception of the big, uh, like I said, the, the conference championship game, in which you gotta really give some love to Kansas State as well. Uh, played their hearts out. You just got. I mean, it just it just happens sometimes. Uh, but you know. Throughout the the course of the regular season, without you know, with the exception of that last game, uh, they found a way to pretty much win. Uh, they were gutsy. Uh, their defenses, uh, this defense this year, probably isn't as sharp as a Gary Patterson defense. So they've given up some points, but they, I mean, they made up for it with a potent enough offense, and they get it done. So uh, good luck on uh, you know Sonny Dykes's part. He's come a long way. I personally remember remember him when he was at Cal. I didn't have too much to say about him because Cal was still garbage. I mean, but he was able to turn this team around and look at how they got him. So congrats to him. Congrats to Max Duggan. Good luck in the playoffs. All right, y'all. I'm going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll be going over some NFL action, going over the action for the week. And, of course, maybe a headline or two. We'll see what's up. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. All right, y'all, we are back, and I'm going to go through an NFL update for a little bit. Uh, first off, I'm going to break down some headlines. Uh, this one is mostly going to be an injury report. We have some uh, we have some notable players that are going to be missing some time, so I wanted to get through that real quick. First things first, we got Kyler Murray. Uh, he's going to be done for the season. Uh, now, he tore his ACL in Monday night's loss to New England, that 27-13 Monday night loss. Uh, he suffered that on a non-contact injury. Uh, within the first few plays of the game. Uh, yeah, like three plays in. Uh, he also suffered a hamstring injury earlier in the season uh, that already, you know, caused him to miss two games. So, again, he's been dealing with the injury bug. Of course, this team is not where they would like to be at yet. Again, he's in the midst of this five-year, $230 million contract on top of that. So, uh, again, you know, you know, a very interesting time, to say the least, for Arizona. Uh, they can't seem to keep this man healthy. And even when he's healthy, they don't seem to be winning any games. Uh, moving on, we got uh, Damian Pierce, running back, 
course for Houston. Uh, he suffered a sprained ankle last week versus the Cowboys. Uh, he has no fracture, uh, but his status for this week's uh, this week's game is still undecided. He hasn't making uh, he hasn't made an an appearance at practice just yet. Uh, so I don't know what um, well time will tell uh, in terms of that. Uh, moving on, we have Devonte Parker course of the Patriots. Uh, he did suffer a concussion in Monday night's game. Uh, he was visibly shaken up, but for some reason, the offense, uh, none of the medical staff, none of the coaches decided to call a timeout and allow him to get any attention. Uh, it took his teammate, Nelson Aguilar, basically having to stop everything himself, uh, pretty much force the offense into a timeout uh, in order for your boy to get any type of attention. So that's very uh, concerning, uh, you know, definitely dealing with what we saw with, uh, you know, you know, Tua, uh, you know, way early in the season uh just seeing him you know seeing that that Dolphins team pretty much have no um no issue with putting him back in the game and of course uh he played a subsequent week a subsequent week which you know you saw him get injured even more you know in a, in a, even worse looking predicament although he is playing now um and it's just so you know disgusting to see uh how you know it's not even just the league but it just seems to be a trickle down effect to the teams as well where they're just like oh well you know uh you know just keep the play going we're not gonna stop uh you know obviously the man is you know you know, he's not on his, you know, right, you know, he wasn't standing up straight, you know, he had to have his offensive lineman trying to, you know, help him up, and this is Devontae Parker now, you know, just seeing that, and just having his teammate, you know, having to be the one call the timeout, that's some bullshit, you know, I think the league is not doing its job, and not just the league, but the teams and the coaches, again, as I mentioned before, the medical staff as well, really not doing their job and, and you know having some type of awareness uh this will be a quote coming from parker himself uh this was actually a tweet uh he said he says get on y'all's fucking job nfl point taken i mean of course i mean they obviously didn't step in when it seemed like he was obviously hurt uh thankful for my brother of course he you know tagged elbow here uh you know uh, thankful for my brother uh, he was aware of the situation and he was you know he's like like i said uh it took a t it took nelson aguilar having to stop the entire play from being called and demanding a timeout in order for this guy to even get looked at at the sideline uh we have to well this league not me because i ain't the one you know making these calls but the league has to do a lot better of a job these are people's lives on the line this is this, these people's ability to feed their families on the line and y'all seem to not be given a I think that's some bullshit. Uh, but moving on, uh, New England, they suffered, uh, well, two other players uh, suffered some injuries in that game as well. Ramondre Stevenson, he's going to be missing some time with an ankle industry, uh, <laughs> industry, but an ankle in injury, excuse me. We also got rookie defensive back Jack Jones, who will be out with a issue. Uh, we also got Russ out there, of course. In Denver, he will be going into concussion protocol this week. He may or may not. Available. Uh, one more quick headline to go through. Uh, 
This is more speculation as opposed to anything that might be happening or any, anything happening you know, anytime soon. Uh, we got Sean Payton. Uh, he's been considering a comeback lately. Uh, he would he'd go on to say, I think this was back in about August, he would go on to say, if the right situation presented itself, I would definitely be interested. Now, during the summer, he was previously linked to the Cowboys, the Dolphins, and of course, the Chargers jobs. But in recent, uh, well, this is not me saying this. This is mostly, you know, the media. Uh, well, and really, you know, one person in particular, Ian Rappaport. This is, uh, of course, he works for the NFL Network. And that's what these, this, you know, one of the primary jobs of these guys are, is to come up with these different narratives and to come up with these different interesting takes on it uh again i mean as far as i'm hearing uh there seems to be some interest uh you know at least among Payton's part to make a comeback but you know he does not he's not necessarily rushing anything uh he's currently an analyst i believe i don't want to i think it is for fox but i could be wrong on that but he's currently working as an analyst and he lives in la and uh basically you know because of those two things right there you know, Ian Rappaport and, of course, other members of the media, this is, again, what they do. Uh, they decide to take that and say, well, he's already living in L.A. Let's just make him, let's just link him to both the L.A. jobs now. You know, even though they both have coaches, uh, even though they both, you know, have established coaches. Of course, we look at the Ram situation. Uh, they are, you know, of course, Super Bowl winners. They're, you know, a year away from that. Of course, they've fallen off a little bit. But in real, in, you know, in reality, realistically, unless there's a continued fall off from Sean McVay, I don't really see, you know, even if Sean Payton made himself available tomorrow, I don't really see the Rams saying, ah, uh, let's, let's, you know, let's get rid of McVay in order to make room for Payton. I don't see that. Maybe the Chargers, since they're in a different situation, you know, they haven't really uh, crossed that threshold uh, with, the, with a quarterback like Justin Herbert and, and really made a playoff run. You know, that might be the case. But the only team I could think of, at least on the West Coast, that would be, you know, in a dire need of a head coach. Again, of course, you can mention the Raiders job. Again, Josh McDonald's in Josh McDaniels is in his first year, by the way. Uh, but why not Cliff Kingsbury? He's the only coach, at least in this part of the country. Uh, again, again, he's in California. I'm just thinking geographically. Uh, he's the only coach that I would see, you know, in this geographic area of the country that I would see that would be uh, remotely on the hot seat. Uh, I think if we look at the other uh, jobs they mentioned beforehand, uh, the Cowboys job, you know, there's a possibility he could go there at some point. But, you know, I think Dallas would have to, you know, really fuck off in the playoffs and not really look good at all. Uh, you know, they would have to miss the playoffs for that to be a real, you know, um, a real possibility. Uh, you know, and it all depends on timing and everything, too. I mean, I mean, when would this, you know, comeback be? You know, he hasn't really expressed an interest in coming back anytime soon. So, you know, it's just it's just all those things. This is a speculation, you know. You know, you could just put so much on speculation and you can add what you want. You know, so many hypotheticals, but will it actually happen? You know, I don't know. You know, I'm not the one to say that right now. You know, I don't, I don't play, you know, um, the fortune teller here. I just kind of just you know, talk about it as it happens. So, you know, it's, it's up to you to decide, but he also had a quote, uh, that would, um, you know, be interesting to me. That would stand out to me. He would also go on to say, uh, the most important element is functional ownership in front office. Uh, there is a handful of teams that 
aren't. And uh, the teams uh, and those teams, regardless of what takes place, uh, they can win on Sunday, but they have trouble winning long term. So it seems to me as whatever team he you know decides to go to, it has to be a perennial winner. It has to be a winner. Uh, it has to be a team that's you know pretty much stable, uh, you know consistent winning, not you know going twelve and four one year, making the playoffs, and then completely falling off the next year. So uh, I think in that realm. A team like the Rams might be eliminated. Uh, We look at a team like the Chargers, who, again, haven't really, you know, had a deep playoff run or consistent playoff runs for that matter. I don't know if that team makes the cut. So, you know, only time will tell. And when he makes that decision, we'll finally know. He does have 16 years of coaching experience, all with the New Orleans Saints. And, of course, he is a Super Bowl winner. Now, here's the kicker. He is still technically uh, under contract with the team. And uh, whatever other team that may want his services is going to have to trade for him. And you know what the value of him is right now? A first-round draft pick. And I just think that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. They might want a whole bunch of other stuff and ask. So, again, this is an interesting story. I don't think anything happens anytime soon, but just to kind of show you an example of how the media gets involved and they just kind of just come up with stuff and they just have something to say. They always got something to say and they'll just come up with anything. You know, oh, he, he wants to go to the Rams. He wants to go to the Chargers. Who said that? Who's coming up with this? You know, again, it's not for me to say. We'll have to see uh, for ourselves. All right, y'all, let's take a quick look at the scoreboard uh, from week 14. Of course, I'll be going over the standings in just a little bit. Uh, but just to look at a couple of scores real quick, uh, we had the Panthers getting it done. Somewhat of upset here against the Seahawks. 30-24 to will be the final score. The Seahawks are currently 7-6. and The Panthers are 5-8. and For the Panthers in that game, Sam Donald will go 14-24 for 120 yards. He would throw a touchdown pass. Uh, a touchdown pass. Uh, Chuba Hubbard will get 70 four yards on the ground and a touchdown. Raheem Blackshear would score on the ground as well. Uh, J.C. Horn would step up, step up on the defensive end with six total tackles and an interception. And Frankie Louvu will end up with a sack. Geno Smith would go 21-36, 264 yards. He would throw two picks, but he would throw three touchdowns. Uh, the problem with Seattle on Sunday was the fact that they couldn't really run the ball. Only 46 total uh, rushing yards. Marquise Goodwin will go on to have five catches for 95 yards a touchdown, and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett will both catch touchdown passes as well. Defensively, Byron, sorry, Brian, uh, Brian Money will get you six total tackles and a sack. Uh, moving on, uh, we have, of course, the Raiders. Uh, they took that ugly, ugly Monday night loss, seventeen to sixteen to the Rams. You know, I don't really want to talk about it. You know, uh, Derek Carr. Didn't look so hot. I think he threw like two picks in that game. Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, Derek Carr, yeah, zero touchdowns, two picks. You know, just another one of those, I don't know what the fuck happened performances. Josh Jacobs, again, solid game. Uh, 99 yards. However, you know, I don't know. You know, only on 3.7 yards per carry. It was a struggle. Uh, he had almost 100 yards in that game, but it was a struggle. He would score. So, again, you do see, you know, there's some give and take even with that. Nate Hobbs had nine total tackles. Uh, the Raiders did force four sacks. But, again, you know, we gave up, you know, 17 points. I think that's the final quarter. You know, how does that, you know, how does that work? You know, uh, we had a three-game three game winning streak snap, so uh, we have to win three straight to qualify for the playoffs. Can it happen? I don't know. I don't know. 
Uh, but for the Rams, Baker Mayfield, uh, he would go 22 of 35. Uh, 230 yards, he would end up throwing a touchdown pass to Van Jefferson. Cam Akers would have a rushing touchdown. And defensively, linebacker Ernest Jones would get you five total tackles and an interception. And uh, Tyler Rapp would get a pick as well. Bobby Wagner would also step up on the defensive end with... Um, 15 total tackles. Now, just a check-in on the Raiders. They are 5-8 currently, third in the AFC West. Like I mentioned before, they need to win three straight to possibly make the playoffs. I don't even know if it's a given. Uh, but they're, I mean, they're okay offensively. They're 12th in scoring uh, with 23 points per game. They're 8th in total offense. So they can move the ball down the field. They can score to some extent. They're okay passing the ball. But again, you have a game like this from, you know, Carr, and it just makes it, you know, all the more questionable. Uh, they're also ninth in rushing, so they're a top ten team, uh, just about in you know almost every statistical you know offensive category. But where they do struggle is in the red zone. They're 29th in red zone percentage at 44.7. They're also 23rd in third down conversion. So again, they can't sustain drives. They can't necessarily score when they're in the end zone. So uh, both two things that are gonna really, can really hamper your offense. They recently cut an old offensive lineman, John Simpson, uh, and they. this is another cold, cold stat to look at when looking at the Raiders. They're actually zero and four this season when leading by double digits at halftime. What the fuck? So nothing is uh, a given with us. We have to wait until the final score or the final quarter to see what happens with this team. Uh, not good for my stress levels. And um, it's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating to say the least. Uh, moving on, we have the Vikings getting it done. Sorry, the Lions getting it done against the Vikings, uh, holding on to their playoff hopes. Uh, final score here, 34 to 23. We got the Ravens beating the Steelers, 16 to 14. Uh, we have the Browns. They take an L here to the Bengals, 23 to 10. Uh, we also have the Bills here. They get it done against their AFC East rival, the Jets, 20 to 12 was the final score. The Bills move on to 10 to 3 on the season. The Jets are 7 and 6. For New York, Mike White will go 27 to 44 for 268 yards. Uh, Zonovan Knight would score on the ground as well as get 70, 71 yards. Quinny Williams would get you two sacks, uh, but you know the Jets would you know struggle uh, mightily offensively. Only one offensive touchdown. Uh, they would have seven penalties, give up two fumbles. So these are not things that are win or get you a W in games like this. For the Bills, uh, Josh Allen goes 16 to 27 for 147 yards. He would score with a touchdown pass. He would score with his legs. Gregory Rosso would step on the step up on the defensive end with two sacks and Matt Milano were going to have nine total tackles. They were outgained by the Jets uh, outgained by the Jets though 309 to 232. They were also two and thirteen on third down. However on the defensive side of things they were they were able to force four sacks so again uh, the bills do just what it takes defensively to get a game uh, again they didn't really play pretty offensively but uh like i mentioned that defensive that defensive unit carried them we got the cowboys getting the best of the texans 27 to 13 we also got the chiefs uh beating the broncos 34 to 28 
And uh, as far as some other scores, I think that might be it. Yeah, I think we covered everything there. Uh, we're going to take a quick look at the standings. Uh, we're going to start off in the AFC East. Uh, of course, as I mentioned before, the Bills, they are 10-3. and three. Uh, They are riding a four-game winning streak. They are tied for the Chiefs with the best record in the AFC. So they're look, things are look, looking pretty good. Uh, no major developments right now um, in terms of injuries or anything like that. So, uh, you know. As long as everybody stays healthy, uh, they should end up with one of the wait. They should end up with probably the, the best or the second best record in the entire conference. I don't see why not. Moving on, we have the Dolphins here. Back to back losses for them. Uh, they've also struggled on the road as well this season. Three and four, uh, three and four to date on the road. Uh, but they do have a big matchup this weekend versus Buffalo. Uh, they did win the first matchup, twenty-one to nineteen. I think the key to victory in that first game, in my opinion, was keeping the Bills one-dimensional, meaning, uh, well, offensively at least. And what I mean by that is pretty much leaving Josh. Allen to be the main contributor offensively, meaning, of course, he's going to do his thing from a quarterback standpoint, throw the ball around. Uh, but if he's a leading rusher in those games, uh, you know, particularly when there's not a whole lot of rushing, you know, production to be had, they seem to struggle. Uh, they, you know, he was their leading rusher in that first game with just 47 yards. Again, that being for the Bills. Uh, they also, that being Miami, forced four sacks and kept the Bills from scoring a touchdown in the second half. All good things. Can they do it again? I think so, but I would imagine it'd be a little bit more difficult with just the way that the Bills have been playing lately. Uh, but again, if they do some of the things, like I mentioned before, in this game that they did in the first matchup, the Dolphins may be able to pull off an upset. Uh, moving on, we have the Patriots here, who are 7-6. and six, And then at the bottom of the uh, of the division, excuse me, we have the Jets here. Back-to-back -back losses for them. They're still trying to figure things out with their quarterback uh, situation. Uh, Mike White has been the starter uh, for a minute, well, here and there. There, but he's two and five as, as a starter. Uh, he also suffered a rib cage injury recently. He's been listed as day to day. So again, we don't know his status going into next week uh, or this week. Zach Wilson has been uh, has been booked as they as the number two uh, to take his place potentially this Sunday. Uh, so far this year, he has a fifty five percent completion percentage. Uh, he has one thousand two hundred seventy nine yards, four to five touchdown to interception ratio. So nothing to write home about. Really, um, Mike White seems to have better numbers, but he doesn't always get the win. So, you know, and overall uh, for C Wilson's career, uh, he has a 55 percent ca uh, career completion percentage. He also has 13 to 16 touchdown to interception ratio. And of course, we all know about him being previously benched for White and not only being benched for White, but placed third on the death chart. So uh, I don't know what to tell you, uh, Jets fans. It's not looking that great going into the end of the season. Moving on, uh, we are in the AFC West. We have the Chiefs on top, 10-3 and three is their current record. Uh, we have the Chargers here at second place in the division, 7-6 and six overall. They're 14th in the league in scoring, averaging about almost 23 points per game. They're 12th in total offense, third in passing, uh, but they do struggle to score in the end zone. Uh, their uh, percentage there is about, is about 46%. Uh, Justin Herbert though was having a pretty damn good year 3,706 yards 21 to 7 touchdown to interception ratio completing 67% of his passes Austin Eckler is helping him out tremendously on the offensive end over 1,200 uh, yards from scrimmage also also 13 touchdowns however defensively is where they've been struggling 28th uh, in points allowed giving up about 25 points per game so they're allowing more points in their scoring not a good not a good look here uh, 
Uh, moving on, we have the Raiders, of course, at 5-8, and eight, and then the Broncos here at 3-10. and 10. They're last in league in scoring. They're 27th in total offense, 22nd in passing. Nothing has worked. They're near last place in rushing. Uh, they only have six rushing touchdowns all season. Uh, however, that defense that defense is really good. Fourth in points allowed, seventh in total defense. Uh, I think they only give up about 14 points, sorry, 18 points per game. Uh, so they're seventh versus the pass. They're also fourth on third down uh, conversions. Uh, they're also first in red zone defense. But again, no production from that offense. And it's a sad sight to see. Moving on to the AFC North, we have the Ravens here at 9-4. and four. Back-to-back W's for them, but they are dealing with some health issues at the quarterback spot. Tyler Huntley has been put in concussion protocol. He is limited in practice. Starter Lamar Jackson is currently dealing with a knee injury. There's no clear-cut uh, decision on when he'll be back. Uh, the Bengals, uh, they are right behind them, or actually right up on them. They're tied with them at 9-4. and four. Uh, The key to their success uh, in this five-game winning streak has been their improved offensive line play. Uh, they've had 817 snaps played so far this season, which is the most in the NFL, so their experience is, is up tremendously. The sack rate has also gone down uh, for them, so again, some positives, particularly, again, like I mentioned, on that offensive line. Uh, we're also seeing Joe Burrow develop into a good quarterback uh, as well. Uh, so let's move on to the AFC South where we have the Texans. Uh, they are 7-6. Three losses for them in, the ro- in a row. Uh, this year, they're not looking that great offensively. 26th in scoring, 29th in total offense. Derrick Henry, though, uh, he's still kind of doing his thing on a solo end. Uh, he is the franchise's third all-time leading rusher. He recently beat out Chris Johnson. He currently sits at 7,997 career rushing yards however they have a pretty damn good defense this year well a decent defense they're 12th in scoring uh they're also third versus the rush uh but they do struggle against the pass they're currently last against the pass two of their best defensive stalwarts are going to be david long the linebacker uh 86 total tackles seven tackles for loss two interceptions uh we also got Danico autry here uh their leading sack artist with seven total uh moving on we have the colts and the jaguars who are tied in four and eight and then the texas i believe this is the worst record in the nfl right now one and eleven. Let's move to the NFC. Starting off in the NFC East, the eight, the Eagles are twelve and one with the best record in the NFL. The recent. Cl- recently clinched a playoff spot. They're also riding a four-game winning streak. They're first in scoring with almost 30 points per game, second in rushing, third in total offense. They're also second in total defense. There's no weaknesses that I can see right now. Uh, the Cowboys, we have uh, we have here at 10-4, they're also riding a four-game winning streak. They recently signed wide receiver Ty Hilton and also offensive tackle Tyron Smith will be making his first start of the year. So nothing really major going on here. Um, this team seems to be, you know, operating as best as it can, and they're currently second in the division. Uh, the Giants and the Redskins, uh, aka the, really the Commanders now. I don't know how I forgot that. They are both seven and five. Off to the NFC West, we have the the Niners here at nine and four, six wins in a row. But they're dealing with some um, some injuries right now. Debo Samuel, he will be out at least three weeks with an MCL sprain. Brock's Purdy status is uncertain going into this week's game. He's dealing with some rib issues. Uh, so again, we already know that Jimmy Garoppolo is out. Of course, you know. 
Trey Lance, I believe, is out too. Ah, man, Whew, they got some issues. Uh, they did struggle versus the run. They struggled against the run recently. Uh, 223 yards allowed uh, in there. Sorry, this is the Seahawks now. Ooh. Oh, my bad, y'all. The Seahawks, uh, they are right behind uh, the Niners, I believe, at 7-6. and six. Uh, They struggled versus the run recently. Uh, they've allowed two, well, they allowed 223, 223 yards in that loss to Carolina last week. Uh, they allowed 838 yards uh, in the last four games alone on five, over five yards per carry. So they are struggling to stop the run. That's not a good time to be struggling to stop the run. We're getting close to the playoff time, guys. I, that's not a good look. Uh, but rounding out the division here, we have the Cardinals and the Rams both at four and nine. Uh, going on to the NFC North, we have the Vikings here at ten and three. They're tenth in scoring. They're eighth in pa eighth in passing right now. Kirk Cousins is having a decent year. Three thousand three hundred thirty-five. Sorry, three thousand three hundred fifty-eight yards. Uh, Twenty-nine to twenty to nine touchdown to interception ratio, and he's completing sixty-five percent of his passes uh but however uh they're struggling defensively their last in total defense last versus the pass they've given up 400 yards in their last four outings at least through the air so uh, as we mentioned the seahawks are struggling to stop the run the vikings here are struggling to stop the pass and it'll be interesting to see if they can you know maintain their spot well it looks like they're gonna at least hold on to their divisional lead uh but the question is can this Defense improve in time for the playoffs because that's when it's really going to matter. We have the Lions here at six and seven. They're riding a two-game winning streak, and then rounding out the bottom of this division, we have the Packers here at five and eight, and then the Bears here at three and ten. And going to the South, we have the Buccaneers at six and seven. Uh, not much to mention here from these teams. They're all kind of garbage. Uh, we have the Panthers and the Falcons at five and eight, and the Saints at four and nine. All right, y'all. I'm gonna take another quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll be going through a word on the street segment. We have a uh, Ukraine versus Russia update, and then I got some uh, some very some even more interesting news coming from the Netherlands. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. All right, y'all. We are gonna wrap this up with a word on the street segment. Uh, we are gonna start off with a uh, pretty much a recent blow by blow. Of what's going on between Russia and uh, Ukraine? Now, uh, recently, uh, Russia was bombing uh, one of the major cities of Bakhmut and Odessa. Uh, Odessa recently had a large power plant destroyed, leaving you know a lot of people without uh any you know electricity you know gas so on and so forth uh putin is now drawing most of his forces uh to ukraine's donetsk and i think that would be pronounced luhas provinces uh trying to concentrate on an area of some supply chains in order to dis you know do some real damage uh again like i said he's heavily uh infiltrated two cities you know, uh, so he is, you know, he's still doing damage despite taking a lot of L's so far, but he is still doing some damage. Uh, 90 uh, ninety percent of the region's population, uh, however, has been, you know, pretty much, has pretty much fled. Uh, so it's, it's nothing a lot going on there other than them just kind of taking over buildings, bombing them. You know, and, you know, Ukraine bombing some buildings back. Uh, not only is uh, now... Putin, he's supporting, you know, Iran militarily. Uh, if you haven't heard recently, uh, Iran has had some um, some things go on there uh, in terms of uh, protests 
Uh, they're not getting involved in any like you know any conflict, but there's some things going on on the domestic front there. Uh, just again in terms of their you know their government, you know there's protests against you know how things are being done there. So Russia wants to send some support to them, make sure they're all right. So obviously they still got enough juice to do these types of uh, types of things. Uh, they are still threatening the use of nuclear weapons, however, uh, at least against the U.S. and also other NATO allies. So that's still a threat. Like I said, he is still doing some damage. However, uh, with Ukraine, they've been able to conduct some successful airstrikes. Uh, they've uh, successfully struck two, struck down two Russian fields, destroying a bunch of aircraft. So, again, you know, there's still this give and take. So, Russia will do its damage. Ukraine will fire back. So, we're still in those stages. Um, nobody has... Well... You know, outside of the original failure by Russia to not take over Kiev and to not just make, you know, you know, Ukraine submit to this point, uh, there hasn't really been anything to change anything so far in terms of the battle. Again, uh, what I will say with, with this, though, is those recent attacks that the Ukraine uh, military carried out around the 5th of December, uh, both of those strikes, and actually both of those sites, excuse me, were 370 miles away from Moscow. So um, Ukraine has the materials, has the capabilities. Uh, they just haven't, you know, I guess, you know, implemented these strategies yet, but they have the potential to now start hitting, uh, you know, Russia's capital, which could, you know, again, turn the world, turn this conflict or war into a different direction. Um, They've also been forcing Russian forces to retreat in cities such as Lyman. So, again, there's a back and forth between these cities. Don't believe the hype too much. Again, for every for every minor success that the Russian military is having, they seem to be just getting beaten up in other spots as well and just had and taking these these losses. Uh, they recently had a bunch of their uh, helicopters, their, uh, their heavy duty. I don't know. The, I can't remember the names of, off the top of my head, but they're being shot down. Uh, as well by you know anti-aircraft you know missiles so again this is a a back and forth battle again like i mentioned before everybody thought i mean and at the end of the day we can say what we want but this still is a big l on russia because again we've come into this situation thinking that you know you know, Russia had this big time army. Russia could have, because again, we're, we're thinking about what happened, like, you know, with the Chechnyans. We're looking at what happened in Crimea. And we're still thinking that this is the same military. Obviously, things are not the same. Uh, there is some support, of course, that Ukraine does have from the Western nations. But at the same time, you know, Russia, I think that military is a lot overrated than what we came in here saying. I know people don't want to hear it, but it's 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 happening in front of our faces. Now, let's move on. I wanted to focus still on some European politics. Uh, we're going to move on to another part of uh, Europe, going on to the Netherlands. Now, recently, uh, their their government has well has a plan to buy up to three. 
to 3,000 farms in order to control nitrogen emissions. Now, according to nitrogen, the nitrogen minister of the country, Christiane van der Waal, uh, they will offer these farmers 100% value for their property and it will and actually will continue to force buyouts if environmental standards are not met. Now, blowback has been harsh with farmers uh, all over the country, you know, demonstrating. Uh, they've shown up to major cities with tractors. They've come up to shopping centers, so on and so forth. You also got some support from other Dutch citizens, as well as other Europeans and Americans alike saying, you're taking away our food, taking away our food. You know, there's a very, very you know, underlying current to all this that they're not providing. Uh, there's two sides to every story. We're going to get to that. Uh, now, uh, recently, just to kind of let you in on kind of a little bit more on what's happening in the Dutch uh, government, their agricultural minister um, recently resigned uh, due to all this recent backlash. But, you know, again, we come to this issue of they're shutting down these, sh these farms in order to, you know, address a concern. What is that concern? Nitrogen pollution. Now, again, when you originally are told some of these stories and the tone in which you are, you know, told them is, again, sympathetic automatically to the situation of the farmer. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. But again, there's more to this than, you know, what they're telling you. Now, is nitrogen pollution bad? Yes. I'm going to outright say it. It is. There's nothing good about it. Nitrogen can be essential, uh, an essential element. It helps plant life grow to some extent. Uh, however, when large, uh, when nitrogen uh, nitrogen reaches the water supply in large quantities, it can start to kill plant life by giving more energy to invasive plant species. Now, this decaying matter uh, requires more oxygen in that water system, uh, which will kill other fish and aquatic life. Okay, now. This also, this nitrogen buildup in our water supply can also uh, create algae blooms, brown and red tide, also macroalgae known as sea lettuce. Red algae is particularly a, is particularly dangerous because it's a, it is a powerful neurotoxin that transfers through filter feeding fish, fish that humans and animals consume. Okay, and they can actually again poison us through that. Now, this toxic algae has proliferated around Long Island, New York. So, again, this is just what's going on in our own country. I haven't even talked about the effects of what's going on in Dutch, in the Dutch, you know, circumstance, in the Dutch country referring to this. But similar things are going on, which led their government and many governments around the world to do something about it. Now, also... Forcing, uh, you know, this, 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 you know, constant proliferation of this toxic substances has forced this community to constantly test the water quality and constantly salute the water systems in order to create, you know, in order to, you know, dissipate the problem or to, you know, eradicate the problem. They also have to close and open shell fishing at certain points in times, again, when it's deemed to be too toxic. And, you know, at one point, in 2015, again, we're still talking about Suffolk County in New York, but this is, again, just an example. At one point in 2015, 14 lakes and ponds in that area had to be cut off, uh, well, had to have no contact advisories because of these toxic level of algae bloom. Okay, so there's obviously a, again, we hate to say it, 
as usual, there's a man-made connection into, in, you know, in what's going on. Nitrogen can also contaminate our drinking water and is toxic even at low levels. High levels of oxygen, uh, sorry, nitrogen in the atmosphere can make it difficult to breathe. They can make it also make it difficult to see outside and be detrimental to plant growth. Now, again, I know it sounds cold. I know, you know, but bear with me. A big contributor to this pollution, and I know, again, people don't really care about the environment. People say, well, this is going to affect. No, see. We as man are are doing our part to destroy our, our our environment, and so that's something that we have to be able to check. You know, you know, this is the problem with society. We want a safe world. We want healthy food. We want to hold government officials accountable, but we don't want to hold ourselves accountable. We don't want to hold private entities accountable. That's what the problem is. A big contributor to this pollution is synthetic fertilizers. Who uses these synthetic fertilizers? The farmer. We do. The man. The people. Okay? It's found through our sewage and agricultural runoffs. This is what gets into our water supply. It is what gets into our air supply. And again, it is damaging. Again, we've made so much of a, you know, hoopla about what's going on in terms of carbon emissions that we've neglected this whole element right here. That's still a part of it. And people will sit there and say, oh, none of this stuff is really happening. All the car, all that stuff they said about carbon in the ozone was a lie. OK, then how come California still has a drought and we're five or six years in? And don't tell me this happens every now and again. No, this has been exacerbated through human activity. But we don't want to say that. We want to care about the environment until it's time to really be regulated and told we can't do something. Now, do these people have a solution? That being the Dutch government, uh, as far as I'm reading, because again, this is a long process. This is a deeply layered uh, conversation. As far as I do know, they are. They're trying to convert these farms uh, into, well, into a, into a situation that doesn't produce you know, these extra chemicals, these extra, you know, nitrogen pollution. Uh, what their plan is, um, they, well, for starters, uh, they're thinking about, again, economic, sorry, not so much economic, but uh, environmentally friendly standards, okay? Cutting down this, you know, cutting, they've had, you know, they have these, again, you can look it up. You know, I don't have all these, you know, bulletins right in front of my face. Again, this, these are, you have to go to these people's websites. You have to go actually look into this. You know, this is not something that you can just, you know, off the cuff, just say, this is what everybody's doing. This is, you know, um, the bottom line is this issue of this pollution has been addressed by this government years ago. Just like this government has tried to address it with the people in our country. The problem is they've told these people what the issues were, what their plan is to, you know, remedy that. And again, some farmers went along with it. Some farmers didn't because, again, it costs it, it affects their if well, they feel it affects their bottom line. So the 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 real beneficial, you know, safety of the environment does not come, you know, well, to certain, you know, according to some people, as we can see should not come at the mercy of how they make money or it's easy easiest for them to make money 
These people didn't know how to convert their farms. These people didn't want to, you know, look into nitrogen emissions. And for what it's worth, because of that extra nitrogen pollution have been, and just like farmers in our country, just like the corporations in our country that go unchecked, because again, we feel that we shouldn't have to worry about the environment. This is what happens. And it's not just with, again, we mentioned nitrogen, but we know what's been happening with carbon. We know the effects it's had against the weather. We talked about chemtrails. Who's a part of these things? Who's allowing this shit to happen? We're quick to blame the liberals, but we don't really blame the corporations that are actually carrying this out, that have lobbied both sides of our political structure in order to do this, not just here in every other country. So now you want to cry and say, oh, well, don't shut down the farms. Well, if the farms are poisoning you, Without you really knowing it, through their pollution, well, sorry, something has to change. I don't know. I don't know the best way to tell you this, but something has to change. We can't be sitting here polluting ourselves because it's it helps us farm better. Sorry, I don't buy that, and I won't be rolling with that solution either. So, um, you know, there will be some changes in terms of how we conduct our farms and how we do things, and I think it's it's to some extent it's from the for the better. The problem is people want to make profit. That's why that's why they're using this. Well, you know, they're going to take away these people's farms. Well, they're going to they're going to buy the farms. They're not going to shut the farms down. They're just going to change the way that they do shit there. That's all. They're going to reduce livestock production to to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll be mad about that, but then turn around and, and know in your own life and know through what you heard that meat ain't really that good for you. But you're mad about the fact that, oh, they'll shut down a farm or two. I mean, that's where we're going. We, sh we, we don't, again, I know it sounds like too futuristic. It sounds like, oh, my God, you know, this world is changing to an extent that, to, to an extent that I can't really handle it. But you can all they're simply saying is you can't produce as much nitrogen. You can't produce as much, you know, carbon dioxide. And people don't want to change what that is. People don't want to change how they do things because it might cost them more. Okay, a little bit more. But you'll make money because you'll have a farm still. But again, you don't want to comply. And they come telling you we're going to buy you out. And then you want to turn around and say, well, they want to take away our food. No, they want to change the way food is being prepared. Don't say, don't say the wrong, don't say shit just to, just to point, just to, you know, have a narrative. They're not taking away food. No. They just don't want you to, you don't want you to be polluting our environment in order to produce this food. That's all. And you're, and I mean, let's be real here. Farmers are polluting our environment, just like the corporations are. All to what? To make their own profit. Sorry. It is what it is. It's what it's always been. It seems to me that corporations, large corporations and, you know, smaller entities alike seem to want to wiggle their way out of any type of um, responsibility for what's going on. And they just want to continue to make money at their own, you know, at their own leisure for what they do. And that's I mean, it ain't going to work. Bottom line. All right, y'all. I'm going to call it a wrap for today. If you're looking to get in touch with me, I'll be leaving my YouTube, uh, sorry, not my YouTube link, but my Instagram link available for you. I'll also be leaving my, I also will be leaving my YouTube link uh, available for you as well, just in case you want to check me out on there as well. I have some new projects coming out on there. Uh, also have some more news coming out on the podcast as well. Again, um, 
some more reviews. We're getting to the end of the year, so I wanted to get through some uh, some stories or some uh, headlines that I might have missed over the course of the year just to kind of give my final thoughts on that before we move on to 2023. And uh, we'll take it, uh, take it day by day. All right, y'all. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I'll let you guys later.